welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 243. I'm Scott Jones. I'm Bill Bohr. It's and kind of remarkable we've made it this far. Yeah, most podcasts do not make it anywhere near this far. Yeah. The statistics are like, yeah, most of them tank in a few months. Or there just we go. Goes down Stubborn perseverance. Stubborn perseverance. There's nothing better to do. <laughs> exactly. This can't underestimate the significance yeah. of either of those things. Well, actually, I've got too much to do right now. But anyway. So, uh, first of all, tomorrow night we will be podcasting live. Live stream. We don't want to put it in, out in iTunes, but we'll be on Facebook. Right. There's, it's we, live streaming because yeah, it'll we, be long. Yeah, we don't want it. Maybe we don't want a permanent record. Of right. It. <laughs> but it will be. I guess it will be permanent, but not. So it'll be permanent on Facebook. Yeah, it yeah, will be permanent. Permanent actually. on Facebook. Right. All right. It will right. be permanent on Facebook. And yeah. So. so we So far, we have people who have volunteered. We have a Texas correspondent. We have a California correspondent. We have a Vermont correspondent. We're particularly excited about Vermont. That, is fantastic. Bellwether it is a great state. Um, I don't know anybody's running for anything in Vermont this year, but I like that he wants to be involved. Yeah, exactly. We have a Canadian, at least one Canadian uh, international. We have an international international. Report. We have international reports. We have all kind of things going on. So. Um, I'm going to get that music. We have a New York correspondent who actually, I think, is in that district where the guy who's been indicted for insider trading up in Buffalo, I think my... He, uh, is that the guy that texted his son from the White House launch? Yes, yes. <laughs> so we'll be closely watching. Jason, Michelle, you could be our Maryland correspondent. Wait, Virginia correspondent. He's in Virginia, not Maryland. All right, yeah, we, Virginia. But Dave Brat is he in Dave Bratt's? No, that's too... Is that that could be his district? Yeah, who's who are who's running in your district, Jason? Yeah, I think it could be Brat. He says the tear Hardy one. I will have to do it by our lonesome. This oh. is Jason Michelli here from Facebook. Oh, Live, they're, they're they're competing. They're, they're doing competing, a competing a competing yeah. broadcast. Our competitor. Uh, oh, our competitor. Very nice. Yeah, it'll be our Fox News. Yeah, they're, <laughs> we will think of you with the same affection. Exactly. But um, anyway. Um, so, anyway, it's still time. We'd love to have somebody from Missouri, uh, from uh, Florida and Georgia. We have a lot of Florida and Georgia listeners, so it'd be great to have someone call in from there. Yeah, if you could FaceTime from the poll. If you could call in <laughs> from the polling place, that'd be awesome. So, let us know, and we will send you the link that you need to uh, to come on come on in. So, uh, we probably somewhere around nine. That's what we're shooting for, nine-ish. Nine-ish. Yeah, around yeah. nine-ish, I would nine guess. Okay. So That's I, when the returns will be in. So join us. Hopefully we'll be a little more, uh, we'll see what kind of state of mind we'll, we'll be in by 11 o'clock. Uh, for those of you who watched the 2016 uh, uh, live podcast. <laughs> but yeah, we're so, this, this election has got us in such a mood that you decided we should talk about evil tonight. <laughs> I did. I did. By the way, it's five o'clock. We're, we're, it's dark. Dark. Yeah. We, we feel, it feels like the night. It's very dark. Yeah, so evil. Yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking about this as we're it, with the tragic shootings and, and killings last week. Uh, it, and in Pittsburgh, the biggest Jewish murder of Jews in the history of the country, right? I mean, I don't think we've... Yeah, I think it's the single largest 
event. And there was a hate crime where two African Americans died in Kentucky, right? Were killed, yeah, murdered were, in Kentucky. They were, they were in yeah Louisville, and the person was attempting to get into a African American church when he was stopped. That yeah. one, that one kind of got lost. That happened in between the bombings, right? And the bombing attempt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, a mass an attempt to massively assassinate two former presidents, former vice president, two sitting senators, and Robert De Niro, Bobby D. The bridge too far. Going yeah. after De Niro now. Like that's got They got to be stopped. People love De Niro. I like De Niro too. I, it, but the fact that this and the yeah, it, just the failure of the White House to take the gravity of this is well. Again, at this point, it's no longer surprising. By the way, do you know Hulk Hogan will be wrestling in Saudi Arabia? <laughs> well, did they let him out of the home to do that? <laughs> I, I don't know. But I just, just thought, hey, Hulkamania is uh, running wild. <laughs> wow! Wow! Hulk, if you see a, a, a hacksaw, go the other way. What, what was the name of the totally racially charged Arab character? The Iron Sheik. Sheik, <laughs> is that who he's going to be wrestling? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm just telling him. I want to warn him that if, if you know, if it's, uh, if you see people with these saws and stuff, yeah, get also, out. Yeah. Yeah, that's so sad, too. I mean, that, that whole situation, you know, the, the sons of the slain journalist asking for his body. And then we've also got, I mean, this crazy... Situation in Pakistan with this young woman who's been, you know, imprisoned on blasphemy charges. She was acquitted, but she's, it's not safe for her to get out of her jail. And her lawyer had to flee the country. So this is, and a group of Christians were killed in Nigeria and a group of 100 protesters were shot in Nigeria. And Nigeria said, well, the president of the United States says this is okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not making uh, Nigeria great again. Oh, my goodness. So this is the state of the world. Yeah, and I was wondering, I was thinking about how in, in the, in the rush to analyze who, well, who's responsible for this, the rhetoric and all, the, like you know, the, how much is the dialed up rhetoric responsible for these actions or this idea? You know, we were talking about the last time that, that as, as there was one of the protests uh, uh, the, after the synagogue shooting, people just started saying "vote." You know, that there was this chant of "vote." You know, right. and, and the idea—it's almost as if we lose an explanatory category when we lose words like evil so so right. the, but you we wind up with this thing well I, we i think we rush too easily to cause and effect as if you know if, if we could document everything psychologically or or measure how exactly how unhealthy the political rhetoric has become or exactly who is inflamed but th- that that somehow we would have a a, a sort of framework to to now comprehend these things i i don't i don't know that that helps us when we lose a, a kind of a capacity to think about things in, in some sort of category like evil well do I, I do one thing particularly in the jewish community i mean they know this template so there's a sense where the jewish community is ex hypersensitive to kind of hate speech right because of the long history of and and it's not it's not it's not paranoia if they actually are out to get you and so I think part of it, the unique, and I, it's funny, just the, um, you know, the, the, my many, the many Jewish friends that I have and uh, just seeing the responses from the Jewish community, uh, they have, they have, I mean, this, the effect of this on the Jewish community as it should be is, is chilling and galvanizing, but it feels very, very familiar to them because it is familiar to them. One other thing that I think I forgot, but it was I uh, brought out that, you know, 
racially charged rhetoric always spills over into the Jewish people. Matter of fact, when they were burning churches during the civil rights movement, they often burned synagogues as well. So that's something that, you know, uh, often doesn't get reported. But um, I do think there's a sense where maybe when we see, you know, obviously persecution against Jews just for being Jews maybe helps us get a little closer to being able to call something evil. I mean, you, you, you should, you know, every senseless death that happens out there should have us reflect. But I agree with you. The, sim- the simplicity in it of cause and effect, which often, even in science, you're not able to make, you know, you're not able to say, you, you know, definitive statements from cause, about cause and effect in experimentation. Um, I think, I think the, the milieu of, of evil is a better way to think about this. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. I was thinking about Susan Neiman wrote a book about the history of evil a couple of years ago, years back, and she talked about like like the bookends for that for her kind of modern history are the Lisbon earthquake in the 18th century, which basically stopped philosophers from talking about modern evil because it was so terrible, and of course people knew about it faster because of technology, communication technology at the yeah. time, and so it happened on was it Easter or Christmas? Yeah, I, yeah, it was yeah. Easter, and so people were in churches, and it's yeah, just this. Yeah, right. So, and then she looks at the Holocaust as the other bookend where, you know, this uh, the other event that stands out in modern imagination and modern memory of, of, of and this, of course, is as, as opposed to a natural evil, you have a, a one that's perpetuated by human agency and how, you know, and her criticism is that, that you know, we, the, over the history of modern philosophy, there's been this loss of an ability to talk about evil. She talks about how hate for Hegel and sort of making it a necessity. I mean, his approach is to kind of make a necessity of, of history going on. And Nietzsche kind of looks at it in a way that our categories are kind of wrong, uh, that, that think we've got to move beyond good and evil. And our categories are the problem when we think about terms like evil. And then you have a third kind of view she looks at where it, it, it's all about intentional acts of uh, malevolence, which, it's interesting because she gets into Hannah Arendt's argument about Eichmann and the banality of evil there, which, you know, Eichmann kind of denies that he really hated Jews. He's just trying to do his job for the party, you know, and and that's interesting because because I, that book is very misunderstood when she's talking about banality of evil. She's not saying that she's not taking away Eichmann's right. responsibility. She's like, often evil doesn't look that evil sometimes. It doesn't look fierce. It doesn't look... Like this thing, it can take the form of the bureaucracy that is perpetuating the view, but just seems seems altogether too normal at times. It normalizes it in ways that 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 are that make it even more malevolent in these awful ways. Well, well, even the what you know the, the political ad of even Fox took off the air <laughs> when when the president was asked, well, you know, what about this offensive ad?" I uh, said, so "I don't find it offensive. It's effective." Right, right. He did. Say, yeah, he did. Say I mean, that, that sounds like something. would Fox have got? Would Megyn Kelly would have gotten got gotten in trouble with about the blackface stuff at Fox? Uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a question. There's yeah. a question. But I mean, doesn't that sound very similar to Eichmann? Well, yeah, it's not. It's effective. Right, it's, it's effective. effective. It's yeah. effective. It's just about that. Uh, the first book I ever really remember reading on evil, and I, this would have been when I was in college, was um, Scott Peck's People of the Lie. Yeah. And I, I, and you know it's been so long ago I can't even, I could can't even find my copy maybe I I lost it years ago but and again I remember there's some legitimate criticism it's kind of a um, you know it has some he has offers some maybe some strange solutions and I don't know if it holds up in time but I do remember in the book he defined evil as militant ignorance 
as one of that's one of the definitions. In other words, there's a sense where there is an extreme commitment to not really discovering the truth. So, for instance, that can happen through um, just perpetuating false ideas. I mean, you know, the globalism equals Jewish conspiracy, which goes back to the Protocols of Zion, which was a forgery by the Tsar Secret Service. You know, and that uh, there's been times where that book is still one of the best-selling books in the Arab world. After 9-11, there was a resurgence of buying the Protocols of Zion uh, in New York. And um, uh, and so the militant ignorance, uh, sometimes it's just by default. Okay, well, you know, yes, this is what he does. He lies. Or a militant desire, a militant commitment to believe whatever someone says, where an individual or the party or the movement becomes the sole source of truth. And so there, there, that's part of what the, the rocket fuel for evil, I think, is. I mean, you have to, you look at, um, well, I mean, uh, you look at the institutional racism in this country, uh, what's going on, on the border, the idea that rather than having a sensible discussion, rather than than voting for sensible immigration reform, which, you know, those attempts have been made over the last 12 years, and that's failed even longer than 12 years. Um, there's a sense where it becomes these, you, you can't even have an intelligent discussion about it. It becomes this total mythology that, you know, Saturday Night Live did a great job of, of satiring it the other night, but there are, there are a lot of people who actually believe this. Yeah, I think even that, though, the militant ignorance thing still, like, gives such a nod in the sort of, our problem is ignorance, which is sort of not mysterious enough or, or takes away from the absurd. I mean, I mean, it literally, evil is absurd literally without meaning sometimes. The, the, I, had a, I had a friend who wrote a dissertation on Bart and Job and theodicy, and, and one of the things he did was, like, theodicy often creates evil. Did Bart and Job teach together? Maybe oh, it could okay. be. It could be that that basically evil. Like theodicy often attempts to sort of justify how there can be a good God and right. evil. Often attempts to create more evil by trying to give meaning or justification right. by the unjustifiable or or the the absurd, not absurd, silly, but absurd, literally like without meaning in the Latin. And, and I think I mean there, this. I mean, there's a modern penchant. There's a Socratic pension for it too sure. for the ignorance thing that if we that if we knew more that we would be better and I, it, it seems to me that like that are there are that humanities the the our ill will literally our concupiscence, yeah. concupiscence wrongly or loves and desires things like that are are things which can't be reduced to ignorance yeah and i would think this is where augustine at his best kind of brings in both yeah, you know, he does have that kind of platonic, you know, knowledge would help. You know, proper knowledge would help order things. You know? Yeah. But it begins with the knowledge of God and also with him with the proper ordering of the will, which is the proper love that only comes from God. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. There's limitations about that. You know, one, I've, one story that I've always uh, – I think he opens the book with it. Um, a uh, One of his – Examples of evil, you know, now he was on, he was part of the team that evaluated the My Lai massacre folks. So he, um, he, you know, so he dealt with one of the great, many people don't remember that, but the My Lai massacre was one of many dark chapters of the Vietnam War, maybe the darkest one, where American soldiers opened fire on civilians and killed, I forget how many of them, uh, scores of them. Matter of fact, one of the people that stopped the killing just died a couple of years ago, the helicopter, a helicopter. Um, pilot literally landed his helicopter between fi the fire and the Vietnamese to protect them. 
But at the beginning of the book, he tells a story where he, I don't remember all the exact details, but there was a boy that was suicidal. And he's interviewing, he's interviewing the boy. And it fi- he finds out that he, had a, he has a gun. And the gun was a Christmas present from his parents. But the gun had belonged to his brother who had killed himself with it. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> and, and M. Scott Beck begins this discussion of evil with that. Yeah. Now, that's one of those things that's not reducible. What do you, other than the parents are, is that, is the parents, what, where, how would you even begin to describe? I mean, unfortunately, we know people like that, but that's, it's so extreme that that even shocks us a bit. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that those, that these things are, are, I mean, that's a great example of these things that it, it defies categorization. I mean, it, it, these things are, yeah, are just, I mean, there's a Joanne, um, Joanna is uh, or Marilyn Adams wrote this book called God, "Goodness of God and Horrendous Evil," which is really well written on this topic. But these things that are horrendous, uh, you know, that that the more we sort of and again, I'm not I'm not uh, against kind of analyzing these things or, or thinking about what what societal. I mean, I do think there are societal trends that that contribute to awful things. But I think when it when sometimes the, the nature of the discourse is such that we think that that it again it I, it borders on creating more evil by this by the sort of banality of our right, right. oh well this is caused by this or it, it, it almost is dismissing the agency of the person that does horrendous evil right no i think you're right uh out here the the book is m scott peck's people of the lie that was from faith that was a question from facebook everybody that's yeah. listening yeah but uh, we'll post as well you know one of the things again even is that the, the idea of the people of the lie was taken from I think it was taken from Zoroastrianism because that was you know the you know the two the the two principles uh, there's a bad you know the bad god and the good guy I forget the names of them but you know dualism you know the official dualism is born out of uh, Persian thought Zoroastrian thought um, and uh, there were there were some people who actually aligned with the god of evil because well God's powerful so we should kind of give him a little bit of due and they were sometimes called people of the lie the ones who followed that. Well, hey, I mean, you know. <laughs> well, and it's interesting because that in the idea in the Zoroastrianism, the primary. I mean, when you have a dualism like that, somebody's probably going to win 50% of the time. Yeah. You can understand. <laughs> I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it? because of the conversations you find here. If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you. To be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Crest, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, 
Jennifer Underwood, Kai Whitpenig, Simone Garabedian, Jim Kirk, Samantha Konauer, and Jordan DeMaze. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. Uh, yeah, there's another, there's another sect. Uh, I think they suspect maybe that's what the Druze, um, the Druze think, but the, you don't know the Druze. That's, you know, that small sect that most of them live in, in, uh, Israel and in, um, Syria. But they're, you, you, they won't, no one can tell you what they can't tell you what they, they practice because you have to be a Druze to know it. But there's a suspicion. There's another group that thought, Hey, the devil's got some power. We should give the devil his due. <laughs> But I do think this idea of of the lie being more than kind of a cognition, you know, um, what is what is the unforgivable sin in the gospel? Well, it's the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. And what were the Pharisees dangerously close of committing the unforgivable sin? Well, they were calling good evil and evil good. I mean, that's not merely knowledge. That's when you totally skew things um, where, I mean, it's impossible. It's almost impossible to repent. If you're convinced that what you know uh, is is what's good is evil, you can't really, you know, that maybe that's also kind of behind the banality of evil a little bit. Donald Trump said asbestos was good, <laughs> which is pretty close to that. <laughs> There's a Russian asbestos company that actually put Trump's uh, uh, picture on the asbestos down, endorsed by President 45. <laughs> We should read uh, Demetrius. Demetrius Goins comment the, the reality the, the, from Facebook coming from oh I think is he in Texas or where is he? I don't know Demetrius you just started a new podcast didn't you so good luck with that we you should check it out the reality of evil can come from something as common as ignorance is terrifying yes it is it is but something we all we all experience and even you know in in uh, in Dante's Inferno um, you know the, the the lowest stage of hell is not a fiery lake but it's a frozen lake. And what keeps it frozen is the devil's turned upside down. The devil's stuck. It's a very upside. different Satan than Milton's. Yeah, it, the devil is stuck upside down, and so the devil looks at all of reality upside down, and it makes him angry the way things are. And he flaps his wing in anger, and he keeps himself frozen in the inner of hell. So, I mean, that's I think also a play off of the idea of the unforgivable sin. It's kind of like Milton's devil, and that you know, uh, but he's not ruling in hell. He's stuck in the hell of his own broken and warped perceptions. So I, I think this idea is, is um, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's more than, you know, I agree with you, this kind of one of the great myths and one of the tragedy myths of progressivism has been if we just educate people, they'll be better. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's not, that doesn't, uh, they, they forgot a little thing called original sin. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Susan, Neiman, New, Susan Neiman talks about how, how that we don't realize once we're, at the place where we're talking about is and ought, that we're in the realm of evil. That mm. when, She talks about evil as something that shatters our trust in the world, that it causes something existential. And th that, so it's interesting, she's like, philosophers, despite their reticence to talk about it, when you use normative language, the minute you use is and ought, even in common point, that shouldn't, that just isn't the way it ought to be. Then you're, you're really using metaphysical language. You're really saying right. saying that there's a norm for the universe and this isn't a part of it, right? And so you, it's interesting that even if somebody's metaphysics or their understanding of reality doesn't it, is is sheepish or evil, you can't avoid the kind of language that conjures or it, it, it right. conjures it by implication. Right. Absolutely. No, I think that's absolutely correct. Yeah. So you know, one of the things I think, um, and I still believe this. Uh, Christianity's approach to evil has its limitations. Okay. 
Because I think at heart it doesn't really it doesn't really try to give you a theodicy. I mean, Job's a classic example where is that a limitation? Well, it may not be a limitation. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think actually that's. But I do also think that the devil exists in our theology, in part as an attempt to to, to uh, explain the problem of evil. I mean, Christianity is a mitigated dualism, so it it does very much portray this idea of the struggle between good and evil. And there are plenty of passages that you know want to affix why things are going the way they do. I think Paul at his best transcends that. You know the. I don't consider the present suffering to compare to the glory that will be revealed. It's not because the present suffering isn't horrible, because I think he has a very high view of the present suffering. It's that the glory that will be revealed transcends that. So there's a sense where the ultimate answer, the God's ultimate yes, is much greater than anything can be reduced to than all the no's of this world. But the no's are deadly, they're awful, and they're uh, insidious, and they're evil. Yeah, and I think oftentimes the kind of humility before the, them is sometimes it creates less evil or, or, or a kind of reticence or being circumspect around them rather than attempting to explain, control, and understand them it, it, it mitigates evil in itself. Well, I, you know, for instance, I just buried a woman, one of the most loving people in our congregation, um, the day, the, the day after, literally the day after her retirement party. And Nancy, uh, God bless you. She was an amazing person. The day after a retirement party, party, while she was at church, had a heart attack. She coded three times on the way to the hospital. They brought her back. The heart attack seemed was not something that was that major. But then they found out she had advanced stages of pancreatic cancer. She only lived a couple months later. And so, <laughs> you know, try you know that's one of those things where you know the, you know there are no answers. I mean, there's a sense where I you know some people use some rhetoric about, you know, well, she's in heaven now. Yeah, you know, I believe that. But that doesn't take away any of the tragedy. I, I read a horrific thing. I saw a horrific thing. I think I saw it in the BBC today. They're in Texas. A couple, right after their wedding, their helicopter crashed and they were killed. Wow. I mean, just, that's, I, mean I can't even begin to wrap my mind around what you, how that would feel if you were there. One of the people posted on Facebook, well, they're having their honeymoon with Jesus. And, I, you know, okay, but... I, you know, I, I'm glad that, you know, they believe and I'm glad they get comfort. I don't know, a couple that gets, a young couple gets killed after the, the night of their wedding, thinking that they're spending their honeymoon with Jesus doesn't, doesn't necessarily bring me an immediate comfort. I think yeah. sometimes that's an example where it's probably best, again, if that gave them comfort, God bless them. I'm not, I, you know, my first rule is whatever gets you through your grief initially. But I can, I can be, it, the problem with it is it can call something evil good. And that's the trouble. That's my exact same my exact same thing. For instance, in terms of because it was, for all the tensions in in the Christian tradition, you want to say something like God is in opposition to evil, and w- and when you sort of make everything yeah. reductio ad kind of well, there would hit with Jesus, then you get the sense yeah. that God really doesn't in in the midst of these moments where our trust in reality is shattered, that God's not on our side in that. Like that God, yeah. you know, and, and I think that it, it is really harmful. Well, I think I agree. And the Christian promise there in, in for instance, Romans eight twenty eight, is not that God is in all things, you know, but that God brings out of all things yeah. good. So there's a sense where as tragic as that is for the, all those who are surviving, uh, that tragedy doesn't have to be the last word um, for all those who love them. Uh, but it is a word that will never leave them. Yeah. 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 Thank God for that. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Well, thank you. Yeah. God bless. Thank you so much. And we will see, we'll see some of you tomorrow night on our live stream. Peace.
Hey listeners, thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening and God bless.